welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know, a J10 initiative. Hey, welcome to the podcast, Father John and... Deacon Jacob. Deacon Jacob, that's got a nice ring to it, you know. Yeah, it's uh, the uh, short... Temporary title, but uh, it's a good ring. Have a title for a year and a half, yeah. Yep. So um, special edition, special edition. Here we are, um, third Sunday in Easter, and uh, uh, April is just flying by. The whole my whole life is flying by, is what it feels like. Yeah, I was. I did a lot today. I had mass uh, with Father Sean, and then we did a couple hospital visits, and then I got a little little break, ate something. Went up to Father Nathan Goebel's birthday uh, celebration with some friends. Got back in, um, responded to a couple emails, took a 10-minute nap, and then got the podcast stuff ready. Crushed some Chipotle. Crushed some Chipotle, and now we're recording. But while I was driving back from uh, the party, I was like, man, this has been a really full day. It just feels like this morning, Mass at 8 a.m. was two weeks ago. Yeah. And I started thinking that my whole life, this whole year... Has felt like that. Yeah. I'm like, we were on the Colorado Trail not even a full year ago. I know. And that feels like a lifetime ago. Uh, ordination, like seven, eight weeks ago, feels like a lifetime ago. There's uh, something about the ontological <laughs> change that just starts to, everything yeah. just goes into hyperspeed. I uh, was with uh, my friends Jay and Elise Schlimmen this afternoon, and um, we were looking at photos from their wedding. I was a server. I was probably in second, this is probably like 2008 or whatever, and just like boom five kids later their oldest is 12 you're just like how did this happen you know like all of my friends when i was in seminary who are now married um their kids are all playing each other in sports locally here in Saudi sports and everything and you're just like this is just absolutely nuts so so yeah we're getting into the summer before you know it and uh it's also hard to believe that um yeah you're going to be a year out uh going into the last year here in like so, two weeks in two weeks you got to survive two more weeks of eschatology with me, and then Mariology in the fall, and then your and then your turn and and uh, burn in there to the finish. So, I was uh, down at my parents' house uh, this afternoon. I mentioned to my mom, "Be careful! I'm uh, recording with uh, Deacon Jacob again because uh, this is gonna be, we're going we're going for it again. It's not as obscure as the Christopher Nolan podcast. I don't think anything <laughs> could be, but uh, I, I just wanted to warn her." Uh, and then we discussed yep. the classic boomer technology conversation, like, how come I can't call you from my iPad? And I was <laughs> like, well, it's not a phone. There's no phone in this iPad. And she's like, what? You need to have the Wi-Fi. Yeah, exactly. So we discussed that. And now I have the momentous task of getting rid of their... I think they bought the last universal remote in the universe. Have you seen these things? <laughs> One of the super big ones. It's going to be on a display case in DIA in our airport, <laughs> like in five years. And so I called up Jonathan Fraker. I was just like... We got to get over, like, we need just a technological overhaul of this whole, because they can't turn the TV off. It doesn't they, turn off. Like, at all. No, it just doesn't, like, and you have to keep they, the remote, you have to, like, gently, you have to kind of, like, massage it the right way in the holster to, like, get it on, and then I was like, well, how do you turn it off? She's like, well, we can't turn it off. I was like, well, how do you stop watching? Like, how does this happen? Unplug the TV. Yeah. A lot of the TVs don't have buttons anymore. You have to have a remote. Yeah. And they know that you're going to lose the remote, so you have to buy a new TV. Yeah. Well, that's going to be something I might have to circle back with you. But technology, <laughs> these things are supposed to make our life better. And, um, well, let's just be honest. They seem to be confusing things, at least for yep. my parents. So Sometimes. Did I give a shout-out to my new nephew, Leo Neppel, since we last talked? 
Uh, not with me. I haven't been on the podcast in a, in a minute here. And uh, my brother had a baby boy about uh, two months ago. And uh, I probably already talked about this, but very excited. The Nepple name lives on. Uh, a New Yorker. He's a New Yorker. That's right. He's the first one. <laughs> that's a scary thought. <laughs> well, we got a holy hour coming up for you. Uh, and uh, so we're going to just dive right into it yep. today. How does that sound? Great excuse to just jump in. I want. I love this cover, the cover of this book. I've been obsessed with this book. I've been reading it nonstop for the last two weeks. Um, Augusto del Noche. There he is, Augusto the man. Del Noche. Google this guy, The Crisis of Modernity. His face, his expression on the cover. This is one of the best book covers I've ever seen because it just, his face says it all. Yeah, he looks like a, a concerned grandpa. Yeah, and his eyes are just like, <laughs> you got to be kidding me. This is seriously going on. His name in, in Italian, I believe, means Gus of the Nut. So Augusto <laughs> del Noche sounds cooler. Um, I Yeah, you told me, you said, uh, we're going to record on this guy, Augusto del Noche. You'll love him. And so I, I looked up his books. And they're recently translated uh, into English and published in the last three, four, five years. And um, none of them can be found for cheap in, in English. And so I almost ordered the Italian version of this book for $10 from Abe Books and then realized I barely read Spanish. I don't know Italian. I definitely don't read Italian. This would be a very difficult book to read in Italian. Um, so I decided not to do that. So yeah, now you're going to convince me to buy the book to spend the 30 bucks on the book in the next hour. That's, that's the, that's the goal. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, the backstory behind this is, uh, our friend Andrea Polito is, uh, doing her, uh, finished up her master's degree at, um, the John Paul II Institute for marriage and the family at the Catholic university of America, longest, uh, name of anything. And, um, the, the communio people out there have been reading and promoting Del Noche for a number of years. Uh, and now are starting to work to translate it. So especially this guy, uh, Carlo Lanci- Lancelotti. We always call him Lancelotti, uh, Lanciotti, because that's our, our local buddy here. But um, there's a guy who uh, has been doing this and kind of getting his works into English. So very grateful to Carlo for the translations. Um, Which he, he's fascinating in himself. He's an Italian-born, came to the U.S. for uh, school, I think met his wife and stayed. Um, but he encountered Augusto Noche when he was in Italy in Turin. Um, through the, I think the communion liberation, uh, he's been Catholic his whole life. And so he's like, this guy, we need, we need him outside of just Italy. We desperately need this and, guy. Uh, I, uh, so I got back from the Grand Traverse, um, ski race, survived it. Body was destroyed. I decided I was like, I need to take a mental, mental break week of any exercise, um, which is not necessarily good for me mentally, but, um, I decided to do that. And all I did was read Del Noche and, um, so the warning is this guy is super profound. He's a political philosopher. He's probably the only political philosopher in Italy that was not a Marxist in the last century. That's kind of what it feels like. Um, and a uh, Catholic guy, but just a very profound thinker. But I kind of went to a dark place, not going to lie, uh, reading this book. Oh. And I just devoured it. I mean, I absolutely <laughs> loved it. But he's putting and identifying real problems um, at, a, at a systemic level. Um, and there are better commentators and better people who can present his, uh, his thoughts, such as um, our boy Larry Chap, um, Gaudium at Spes 22. Just Google it. He's got a great podcast on Del Noche. I don't know if you had a chance to listen to that, but these guys are just way, way better than um, in terms of just getting a sense for who he is. But um, this is a thinker that really matters. And yeah. we need to, and the hope is that we can make a tiny contribution to kind of bring him in. We're going to do just one little uh, essay that he did from this uh, today, but. 
Yeah. The hope is that this is somebody we can really kind of keep learning from. Yeah, the Gaudium Spes- or 22 podcast, they talk with uh, Lancelotti, uh-huh. and it kind of is more of a background of who he is and why, why he thinks he needs to be uh, in, the, in the English language and in, really in the thought uh, throughout the world now. But, so if you're interested in the man, that's a, that's a podcast to go to. So Augusto Del Noche was uh, born in 1910. I believe he's from Turin. Um, did his studies in the north, uh, but spent the majority of his career at La Sapienza, which is the university uh, the, in Rome, uh, again, in political philosophy. The basic project that I see, um, and we will get specific into the topic here in a second, but is the idea that history is driven by philosophical ideas. And what happened in the 20th century, which was disastrous, was the, was the fruit of ideas that had been laid for centuries prior and things kind of blew up uh, in the way that they did. And then the reactions to those happened in the way that they had. And we find ourselves in the state that we're in uh, precisely because of these philosophical ideas and these movements. So worldviews, ideologies, yes, totalitarianism. We're going to talk about this in a second. These are things that he's very, very interested in. Gnosticism, scientism, eroticism. He's going to speak about uh, different things that play out and it's, this is 30,000-foot level stuff, so it's hard to kind of get our heads around. But it answers the question of why in the state of Colorado last week, our governor passed a law that said, we cannot give progesterone to women who take an abortifacient and then decide they don't want to kill their child. Yeah. We, that we can't do that. Yeah. So how is that pro-choice? Very, uh, very restricted. <laughs> Yeah, so this is this is the level we're at. So our friends, our great. friends at Bella, uh, this this Catholic clinic here, uh, are getting terrible persecution because what is going on here? What what is happening uh, culturally that is advancing this? That and it feels like things are in play and in motion that are just so unbelievable. They feel unstoppable, and I think that's what threw me into despair leading up to the Triduum. But fortunately, we have Christ, and He resurrected, and so things kind of continued into Easter. But uh, it can take it, it can take you to to yeah. a place. Uh, so we're not going to hopefully take you to that place today uh, and inspire some hope. But <laughs> sometimes we got to say, and this is why I love him, Del Noche, is I feel like we have as Catholics we haven't thought deeply enough about the cultural situation we find ourselves in. We're always looking for the quick fix. Yeah, give us the right politician. Right, we made that mistake the last thirty years. Well, one of the things I think he he really situates is how worse. Um really living in the uh, the same worldview as a lot of the things we're fighting. Yeah. And we fall into the same traps and the same um, attempts at fixing it quick or by force um, in some way. So I think he even sh- situates how kind of our, our modern liberal conservative debate within the U.S. is a subset of the liberal movement of the last 400 years. Right. That so- we're not, it, this, this isn't like, <laughs> we're not going back 15, you know, or back to the 1500s in some sort of conservatism. Conservatism in the U.S. is a product of the liberalism philosophy. Right. Liberalism is the political philosophy of modernity. We've talked about this ad nauseum in yep. our classes. You're probably tired of hearing it from me, but the chessboard has been set, and we keep playing on the wrong damn chessboard. That's the problem, and that's where he's like, yeah. hey, look at the chessboard, and that's called a worldview. <laughs> and I was talking to, uh, again, Schlippmans today, good friends, and we're talking about where do you send your kids to school? And I find that younger or older millennials are really asking this question deeply. Good Catholics are, are looking at the world. And they're saying, how are we going to do this? But the primary question is, how are we going to build people up 
with a worldview that understands what has secularization happened, why is the God question so irrelevant, why is it so abstracted, and why, why all this kind of dominant violence? Why is this happening? Why are things just going to pieces? And we just say, we look on the news and we say, oh, it's so crazy. All those bad people, thank God we're not like that. To your point, we're all in this. Yeah. And we're all deeply kind of steeped in it. That's why the traditionalist project in its reactionary form is is hollow and cheap and ineffective because you're part of you're part of the problem. We're all post in a post-Christian secular age here. Yeah. And we're all liberals in the sense of a political philosophy that we espouse, which is a vacuum which is being filled by totalitarianism. So, there's the prequel. Yeah. Well, and the, here's the tra- problem we're trying to get out of is uh truth is actually what um everything should be backstopped by and you should be able to have a dialogue around and seeking truth but we've all fallen into ideology and we've all decided what is the end we've actually all become relativist in a lot of ways and the ism movement so if, uh, traditional catholicism is not a bad thing but a traditional ism which um, kind of distorts and grasps is just like a catholic liberalism which wants to change everything to something it's never been um and you can't have a dialogue towards truth because it's just a grasping to, uh, nope, I've, I've already decided what this conversation needs to end with. Um, and we all fall into that. And it's, that's where I get kind of sad and despairing of myself. It's like, how do we, how do we get out of this pit? <laughs> how, do you, how do you dialogue in a post-truth age, so to speak? Yeah. Uh, because I, I, don't, I don't have to trust that you actually are saying anything true because I already know it's true. It's what yeah. I think is true. And, um we're going to hit on that in a little bit here. We're going to talk about power and truth. We're going to talk about the loss of metaphysics, which really matters. We think of metaphysics as a science, uh, and, and people are like, what the heck is metaphysics? But we've lost a sense that there's being, that things are, that they have natures, and that that matters, and that those natures are intelligible, and that humans are created with a capacity to know that and to render things intelligible. And that's the source of dialogue and the foundations of truth and justice and these things. Plato figured this all out, but we've rege- we've yeah. wholesale rejected that, and there are particular thinkers who have done that. So these are massive, massive questions. I would love to do like yeah. an eight-part series on Del Noche of podcasts, <laughs> but I think that it would probably bore bore most people. Let's um, give it the first one. I've got a bunch of scattered thoughts on him, but guide me through this essay. Okay, I want to do three things today. So the name of this podcast is Authority Versus Power, which is a uh, an essay that's collected into this uh book called The Crisis of Modernity. And uh, that's what we're going to do. So the first thing I want to do is just lay out what is the difference between authority and power. Secondly, I want to talk about what does Del Noche say are the philosophical consequences of that distinction or the the way that they're playing out. And then lastly, we've got to close with a word on totalitarianism. Does that sound good? Perfect. I have a distinct memory of being in seminary and Father Ray Goronsky, who just... uh, we just celebrated the anniversary of his death. It was seven years ago. He gets up in the pulpit, and he gives a homily. And the gospel was that beautiful line, I, for, I meant to look it up, but I, I forgot to, um, where Jesus, where they're fighting over who's the greatest among them. And Jesus says what? He says, the, the great ones hold their authority, or their power over you, but it shall not be so among you. Rather, the first among you shall be your servant. And uh, you shall choose the last place. And he, and he looked at us, and I remember this moment. I mean, this was 15, 16 years ago. And he looked at us seminarians, and he said, it shall not be so among you. Yeah. And that homily was about the difference between authority and power. And I'll never forget that moment. 
because it 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 drew a distinction in my mind that these really are different things. And one of the difficulties that we face that Del Noche is going to talk about is we're living in an age that has wholesale rejected the notion of authority. And what that leaves us with is the vacuum of power. So everything gets reduced to the world of power. Authority is rooted in the structure of things, metaphysics, as we talk about. And he's going to talk, I'll explain this in a second. Uh, power is something very different. Power is something that is used and exercised when it takes a moral form, it's force, and it's an imposition. Authority is something that arises out of being itself. It's part of the structure of things. And that authority begins in God. And if you, if you start ridding yourself and rejecting God and trying to rid yourself of authority, which we're living in a time that is actively trying to remove that in its last vestiges, namely the Catholic Church, then you find yourself saying, well, I guess Nietzsche was right, and all that there is is, is the will to power. So here's how he begins the essay. I got to remember to breathe because I'm so excited to talk about this. The eclipse of the idea of authority is one of the essential characteristics of today's world. In fact, it is the most immediately observable characteristic. That's a strong statement. The eclipse of the idea of authority is one of the essential characteristics of today's world. So we're trying to get rid of authority. And again, this begins with the rejection of God and the rejection of Christianity, which is part of the project of modernity. So the modern world, the last five centuries, has actively worked to remove the authority of Christ and of the church in order to establish the authority in man. But what happens is it reduces itself just to something that's not that. It's actually just power. So he says that the heart of this eclipse of authority can be summed up in the disappearance of the idea of the Father. So it all comes back to the, the very origin of everything for us, which is that God is Father. That's where authority and fatherhood in God are the kind of primordial grounds by which we understand and begin to think about the nature of things. And he says the, op- the opposition here between the etymolo- etymology of the root word authority and the meaning of the same word is assumed today. Octoritas, the Latin, derives from agere, to make grow. So when we think about the word authority, we have to start by saying, what does it actually mean? It, it's a kind of structure to reality that allows for growth. So you and I had good dads, have good dads. They exercised authority in the household. What they did was they helped us flourish as human beings. It wasn't an imposition that was lorded over us that limited our power, our own freedom. It was something that made us more free. So that's an example of kind of how authority is something that helps us to grow. It's, it's something that is positive. And so to reject that uh, is going to change the way you think about humanity. All right, I'm going to pass it off to you because I need to take a couple of breaths. <laughs> yeah, um, the, the idea of one power uh, I think is interesting to think of the Latin virtus, where we get the word virtue, comes from strength or power. And Del Noche is going to talk about how we um, kind of have, have rejected morality, which morality principally is the science of how to live according to man, as man, as a rational, free, acting being. The way to live morally is to live virtuously. And that is actually the power to live uh, virtuously, the power, not um, not the slavery of sin. And so Noche, Del Noche is going to talk about how we got here by rejecting, um, for the sake of freedom, rejecting 
God, rejecting religion, rejecting tradition, um, f- so that uh, we can become autonomous. And then this kind of autonomy is a relativism that falls into anything goes, but once anything goes, then we stumble into totalitarianism. It's kind of the sketch. Um, and it's a totalitarianism that we're seeing in, in your example at the beginning of you are free to make a choice to have an abortion, but you're not free to change that, um, which is just strange. Right. So that, 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 and that's, that brings it back more concretely to say that what is, what is Governor Polis doing? Is he exercising authority or is he exercising power by implementing these laws? This is power, not in the sense of, like you're saying, like the powers of the soul, the, the, the capacities of human beings to do things. Freedom is a power, you know, in a strict way. What we're talking about here is a modern way of using and imposing something on a populace on others that is not rooted in a metaphysical foundation. It's not rooted in the way things are. Because the only thing that we have left is, and Don Lucci will mention many times, all we have left is the, the political. Right. It's, it's this warring, it's, it's Marxist at its core, warring con- conflict, uh, revolution, exerting your will over another to get what you desire is what it, we're left with because we've rejected metaphysics, we've rejected truth, um, Authority arises out of what he says, uh, the primacy of being. If you think of things as they are, so God creates things as they are. And our task is to live in accordance with the order of things. Now, sin kind of screws all that up. Really doesn't kind of, it does screw that all up. And so the work of redemption is the kind of reordering according to what we call the logos, which is reasonableness, that things are intelligible, that they're meaningful, according to how they are. And that's grounded in Authority. That's different than, as he says here, power. And he says, which evokes the idea of strength or force, above all the idea of a material force, a force which manifests itself visibly and outwardly and affirms itself by the use of external means. For such means, indeed, characterize the temporal power of definition. So, a world where power is exercised as the ultimate foundation of things, which is the world of Nietzsche, it's the world of Marx, um, it's the world of ideologies, such as fascism, but even in the totalitarian situation we find ourselves, power at works when you reject being, being, and you espouse an idea that everything is just becoming. So there's no such thing as a nature. There's no such thing as a gender. There's no such thing, and it's all about moving in this different direction and imposing a force. And this is what's happening at Bella Clinic by the governor of Colorado, is to impose this upon it with force. This is not part of the the reasonableness of things. It doesn't make sense that you would do this. And so he says, spiritual authority, which is different than power, is affirmed only by itself, only in, in this, again, spiritual sense. And the question of authority is really the relationship between man and the invisible, the primacy of the invisible, primacy of discovering uh, the metaphysics of being, common sense, these are things that are authority. Think about the, the people that exercised authority in your life. Did they impose? Were they, was, there, was it by force? Um, no. It was, it was Goronsky getting up there and saying, it shall not be so among you. He's calling us. He's, he's, again, he's augmenting us. He's growing something within us, which says, what is in you is a desire to live according to the authority of God the Father which is the governing and the originating principle of all things. And that, I think, is just has been completely lost. Uh, and you can see, 
with the advent of radical feminism and with this kind of neo-Marxism that we're living in, just the total rejection and the specific rejection of, of fatherhood and anything that is espoused according to that. Yeah. And I think uh, it, it's important to remember that he grew up, he lived through both of the world wars. Uh, he was young during the first one and lived through the second. Um, so he's speaking in a world that has seen uh, what fascism, Nazism, communism has done uh, to, to the history of the world. He's a historian as much as he is a philosopher. Um, and he goes on to say, having seen these things firsthand, he looks at the totalitarianism of modernity and he's more afraid of it for, I'm sure, reasons we'll get into at the end. But um, this is a man who has seen face-to-face what totalitarian governmental regimes have done. And he's talking about what our culture, which appears to be free and expresses itself to the world as being such a free and open society, is actually a a totalitarian power. Yeah, this language of open-mindedness and diversity and tolerance and all these things that we have to believe right? That there is no such thing as gender as, as an example of this. Like the fact that we have to believe this, as he says, in, is an extension of a totalitarian phenomenon. This isn't actual dialogue. And we all feel that. It's like, why am I not free by these impositions that are coming? And we're not fighting for some kind of libertarian um, belief here where it's just like, nobody's going to tell me what to do. That's, yeah. that's not the answer. Well, the and funny I, thing is he even says libertarianism or libertinism yeah. is from the same root. Right. I've got a quote here from an interview with him where he talks about uh, kind of the progressive secularism of kind of the last or the 300 years leading up to the last century and then post kind of World War II, the secularism that's creeped. He says the the new version of secularism um, is just trying to get rid of the question of God, to not even think or ask about God. And it's just this consumerist um, kind of existence. He said previous, at least, they they wanted to get rid of religion as a dominant ruling force, having any kind of real moral ground. But he said the elites would allow religion as a, quote, opiate of the people type of thing. They said, you know, it'll it'll ground the people. They won't revolt because of their religion. He situates libertinism in an excessive consumerism uh, of this kind of constant um, consumption. And he actually talks about pornography as the highest... um, use in this kind of libertine, uh, passive opioid uh, in, in the modern world, that now this ability to do whatever you want as an individual person is making you docile yeah. to the elite class. Yeah. Oh, man, there's so much in there. <laughs> Libertinism, just to define that, uh, it, this is the Dostoevsky uh, Brothers Karamazov, where the, the character Ivan, the brother, says, everything is permitted. That's libertinism that freedom arises out of um, total license to do whatever I want to do. Um, and, and that I just, I am, I'm self-determining and I'm self-creating about, and so it's a loss of values. Yeah. There's no sense of like things are valuable. Going back to the Schlippmans, just cause I was just with them. A lot of their life is just governing and ordering chaos. They have five <laughs> kids uh, who are just going at each other all the time. And it's like, for some reason that makes sense to us. And then we get older and we're like, but now I need no authority yeah. because now I'm 18 and I'm going to college and I get to do whatever the hell I, whatever want. I want. And that's the source of freedom for me. And that's even in back to my original point. That's even in cultural conservatism now. Yes. Um, 
really, uh, I mean, it's, it's always been there, but with kind of the, the Tea Party movement, it's this libertarian movement within, and we think it's so different, but it's the same. I just watched a, a podcast interview with Matt Frad with Dennis Prager, and Dennis Prager is basically arguing, and he's like a super conservative, you know, Prager University guy, um, kind of fighting the economic conservatism battle. And he's arguing that, you know, pornography is not a big deal. It's, if, if people want to do that on their own, like, why, why do you care so much about that? And Matt Frad is defending, like, no, this is, this is intrinsically a, a disorder of sin that, that draws you down and, and traps you, and it's bad for society. And he kind of goes through all the arguments. But here's a quote-unquote conservative. Yeah expressing libertinism and i think it was chester it's chesterton or lewis i always get him confused but one of them says uh liber, uh liberals and conservatives are basically the same liberals run into the uh run into the next mistake and conservatives make sure we never leave it yeah yeah that's it and i think i mean there's just yeah there's so much to just unpack on this i mean he has a lot to say about marxism um and it's it's dominance he has this great line where he says marx was de- marxism was defeated in the east because it was victorious in the west so marxism kind of came into our kind of consumerist capitalist post world war ii let's rebuild the world but we're just going back into the libertine thing it's just the enlightenment all over again and what do we believe in oh sure as hell not christianity because that makes an absolute claim which claims itself with authority. Why was Jesus killed? Because exousia, which is the Greek word for authority, is what he claimed. He claimed divine authority. He claimed the authority of the Father. And that's why he was, he was killed. And it's the same thing. It's like, we got to get rid of this. So what do we believe in? Well, that's the problem. We're made for authority. So where do we look for it? Well, in an enlightenment, rationalistic age that's getting more and more technological and scientific, we'll look to the doctors. Enter COVID the last three years, where we will surrender everything that we need to because of what a Fauci tells us, or whoever it is, right, that is saying these things. And we're getting into all kinds of topics today. (laughs) But uh, he talks about scientism as part of this kind of growing totalitarian situation. And and I'll just make one point on this because it's very interesting. But scientism, so the belief that uh, the only thing that we can really know is according to the scientific method, so that which can be deducted and, and rationally understood in a very limited understanding uh, according to this one model. So this kills anything supernatural, anything transcendent, anything mysterious. It's just what we can know, the facts of it. And we're going to build culture on that for what? Because happiness for us means well-being. And if, we, if we're scientific in our thinking, then the primary concern is vitality. And what is the maximization of vitality? He calls it eroticism. And here we find ourselves on the precipice of the pornographic culture, the sexual revolution, and next thing you know, we're, we're going against a Catholic clinic and saying, you're not allowed to give a woman progesterone if she herself freely desires to say, I made a mistake and I don't want to kill my child. This is where we, this is where we find ourselves. So we're already into section two here. Don't <laughs> worry if you're listening and you're saying... This is not making any sense. Uh, I this keep is distracting the first. you from your normal uh, order. I don't have any order, actually. <laughs> I have a couple scribbles on this piece of paper. But uh, the ideas in this book are so profound and so rich uh, and so dramatic that they're just impossible to describe um, in words. And so I, I appreciate everybody who's still hanging with us here. Let me make two more points about the philosophical consequences of confusing power and authority, which is what's happening everywhere. He says, the philosophical consequences of this confusion, uh, he says, indeed, the only standpoint from their radical distinction 
is the distinction between metaphysics and ideology. All right, so you're saying to yourself, I don't really understand what they're talking about between authority and power. It's how do you root free will when I am going to do something to you? Okay, you're in the room with me, and I want this. I want X. You want Y. Let's say, you know, I ordered a uh, uh, chicken uh, bowl at Chipotle. You ordered a burrito. Let's say I walk in and I decide I want, actually want that burrito. <laughs> I don't want this chicken bowl. So what am I going to say? How am I going to go about this? What's going to ground the way that I act towards you? Let's say I just attack you. Like you say, you're not getting this. You're not getting my burrito. And I'm like, I'm going to take that burrito. You're not going to take this burrito. And then we throw down, right? This is power, mm-hmm. okay? And that's rooted in what we call ideology, not in metaphysics. Metaphysics or authority, uh, which is the grounds of authority, says there's something called justice. That's what's authoritative in this moment is that that's your burrito. Yeah. That's not my burrito. And it doesn't matter if I want that burrito and my free will says I'm going to take that burrito. There's something, there's a, there's a metaphysical order here of like, I owe to you what is right and that's what justice is. Uh, uh, giving somebody what is their due, uh, that is authoritative over our relationship. That's a value that's grounded metaphysically. That means that there's something to this situation that is conditioned like that, and that's different than ideology, which says, I'm going to exercise the will to power here over you because, damn, that burrito looks really good, and I made terrible decisions about my salsa, so I'm going to get rid of this, (laughs) which we didn't. We ordered the exact same salsas. Basically the same. Um, With that, too, metaphysics is where we get our definition and understanding of truth. The truth is our conformity to the reality of the thing outside of us, that we conform to that which is outside of us. Um, A thing, we recognize it as good because it's good. We recognize it as beautiful because it's beautiful. We recognize the truth outside of us. That's truth is our conformity of our mind to the reality, metaphysical being of the thing outside of us. God, on the other hand, Things are good and things exist because he thinks of them. So truth is when we think about a thing rightly as it is, but things are and are good because God thinks of them. So we're different than God, right? Right. God is the creator. And so going back to the father, the creator element that we've lost, we now think that we are the masters, that we impose the meaning upon something. And so the technocratic order uh, is where the human person most resembles God because we can create things according to our idea of them. So I can come up with a new technological revolution, a new device, a new um, machine, whatever it may be, and it conforms to what I thought it to be. So that's why we love technology, because it's how we're most like God. We make something to be as we think it to be. But because of that, we've jettisoned all metaphysics of being and reality, and we don't conform ourselves to things as they are. Yeah. Well said. Authority is rooted in the logos, is rooted in what we call rationality. In the beginning was the word. That's what we hear in the beginning, uh, first, or John chapter one. Word is logos. Logos, as Ratzinger points to all the time, doesn't just mean word, it means meaning. It means rationality. So authority is about finding that which is outside of myself. And as you said, finding truth outside of myself. I don't make things true. I don't make the, but the, but the will to power says to me, I'm going to make that true 
Because true is usefulness, according to Nietzsche. Mm-hmm. And what is useful for me is I want that burrito. So I'm going to take that burrito from you, and that's going to become truth. Yeah. The truth is that I'm taking that, mm-hmm. and I'm going to use force to do that, uh, versus uh, power, which is not rooted in that. As you were saying, it's, it's rooted in just this kind of arbitrary exercise of the will, untethered from rationality. Yeah, I've got a quote for you from him. Fire away. Must be my, uh, I think this is the last interjection I've got directly from him. He says, the common feature of the two secularisms, this is what I was talking about, the kind of the old secularism and then the, the contemporary secularism, both uh, are seeing the confinement of religion to the private sphere while professing the legal recognition of religious freedom. However, the old secularism talked about a common morality shared by Catholic and secular people. Today's secularism talks about common values. Now, it may seem a purely terminological question, but it is not. Quote, moral is a word that evokes the idea of obligatoriness and duty, of accepting some sacrifice, of renouncing egocentrism. On the contrary, value is what is instrumental for my realization. It is a term that arrived at ethics passing through economics and still maintains a utilitarian reference. Value for my realization. Hmm. That I, uh, the, the existentialist who I love, who I would totally be if I was not grounded in Catholic you know, <laughs> metaphysics, um, is existence becoming. Yeah. Um, that that I, <laughs> I make myself, I create myself, I self-actualize, I realize who I am. Uh, through through what I desire, what I impose into my life, whereas metaphysics says I am something, and I come to be that, and that's the moral virtues. That's coming to be who you are, uh, is is discovering who you are in the light of being created by God for an end, and that's where the virtues come in. To morality comes in, but value is only an economic term transposed onto ethics as a value for my self actualization according to my desire to realize my self-creation. Yeah, that's it. Self-creation is the word. If you're, if you're parents and you're listening to this and you're saying, I have no idea what the hell they're talking about right now, let's just pause for a second and say, what you have to guard against in your children, if you want them to be faithful to Christ and faithful to reality, is the ethos of self-creation. And it's in the water, it's in the air, it's everywhere. It is just replete and it's the fruit of this totalitarian experience that we're living in which is to say that exactly as you just said like religion is dead the world is post-christian when that happens religion dies everything's reduced to politics we saw this at the end of the roman empire and now we're seeing it again this is the demise and the collapse of civilization everything is reduced to politics which is reduced to the arbitrariness of the will and ultimately power and to your point earlier we as catholics cannot play that game we can't just say, let's get behind Trump and the new populist movement, and that'll be the answer. That didn't work, yeah. right? It's the same to power play as a Catholic is not the option. It's about getting back to the grounds of how things actually are. And self-creation is the kind of demon of the age because it espouses that deep and profound lapsarian feeling that I can become God. Yeah. And that's what it's about. I want to be the creator. So I have to destroy authority, which says there is a creator, and that creation speaks of authority. And that's what we don't want. That's what we just, anything we can get rid of. And I mean, man, I, I, I've gone into some, some deep, dark places on this, but I, I also am like realizing I had a, a beautiful funeral on um, Friday morning. Wonderful Catholic man, 37 years. He worked at the University of Colorado in kinesiology and just 
great man. Um, Father Matt McGee and I did the funeral. I preached it. Known the family for a long time. But I went back to Boulder. I've, I left there 10 years ago. All of Almost all of the kids in my parish, they were there. They're falling away. They're gone. This is, this is the good families. So it's like things are looking pretty bad. And so we got to really roll up our sleeves and say, what is going on right now? And especially with the revolution and the violence and just that spirit that is kind of unleashed in the last 50 years, we got to stop saying to ourselves, well, that's just the bad people, you know? Um, and we're not like that. It's like we're all in a revolutionary mode and in a violent mode because we've lost that deep sense of God's authority because we don't want it. Because we really believe that we can self-create. And we do that as Christians. Yeah. And, and that's where we're not above it. So uh, let's go one more point on this and then to point three. And then we got to start kind of wrapping this thing up. <laughs> All right. Revolution. Revolution means replacing metaphysics with the ideal of a meta-humanity in which mankind will acquire those powers that it already possesses potentially, but from it alienated itself during the development of history, projected them outside in the act of creating God. So the narrative that we're living in right now is that, and this is from Marx, Nietzsche, but even before then, we have to kill God in order to become truly human. And there's this meta-humanity. This is the, the metaverse, so to speak. Like we, we can move beyond if we just take down Christianity. Like we just have to destroy, and it's not just Christianity, it's the, it's the Christian synthesis which draws together the Roman, the Greek, and the Jewish world in the incarnation of Christ. So we got to take down Plato. We got to take down Christ. We got to take down everything that speaks of order and justice and intelligibility and transcendence and logos and things that are beyond us so that we can come into our own and actually become the new humanity. And your existentialist friends are all into this, right? Mm -hmm. We know that. Sartre, I'm a Hegelian. I'm no better than you are, right? But I just think we have to see revolution at work here, that we're living in an, a revolutionary age. And Marxism explicitly calls for that. And it gave us this messianic sense that they all had this, right? With the Soviet Revolution, 1917, like if we just kill uh, the Tsar family and we just kind of move into this new age, we have to do it by revolution. And, and that's what's really scary about the time that we're living in is that People are actively deconstructing everything that common sense, reasonableness, and the authentic nature of human freedom says is right. That has to be destroyed. Yeah. In order for what? For this dream, utopian humanity where man will be truly free once he has totally destroyed everything that is Christian. Which Marx didn't even describe. Because right. he said you couldn't describe it. It just The revolution had to happen, and then it'll happen. They wouldn't even tell what it was. It's just like this utopian ideal, vague, because to describe it would be imposing order from some existing authority. Right. And so it can't, you can't actually go there. It says, you know, you just have to destroy it, and then we'll get past it into this metahumanity. It's like, come again? And here's the crazy <laughs> irony. One last tiny little point in that. So the bourgeois uh, class has to be destroyed. So Marxism is based on this class dialectic between the proletariat, the working man, and the bourgeois, the aristocrats who've always had the power, right? And so the bourgeois have to rise up and destroy the classes. Uh, the, the proletariat. Sorry, the proletariat has to rise up. Exactly. But how do the proletariat know to do that? Because the uh, intelligentsia told them to. Exactly. That's exactly right. That's the problem, is that you need Marx and Engels and you need Trotsky's and you need Lenin's to tell you this is what you're supposed to do. 
And so the crazy, tragic irony of everything is that the whole rejection of authority, which is at the very grounds of why we have to destroy Christianity and destroy the Western patrimony that we're living in, is to free ourselves from dependence. But are we actually free of dependence? Not even a little bit. We become slaves. Yep. And we become dependent on the state. We're just living on that. And we saw that in freaking COVID in such a, a powerful way. And I'm not one of these crazy COVID guys, but maybe just <laughs> I'm getting crazier as I, as I get older here. But I, I just am amazed by the fact that we hate authority because we really believe that human freedom only exists when we destroy every form of dependence. And to say I am a created being is necessarily to say I am a dependent being. I did not give myself life. I received life as a gift, and I stand in dependence on God for everything, everything that is. And it's his authority as the creator that dictates how things are, not me. And that's, that's what just absolutely kills us as moderns, and uh, we're working against. Yeah. We're running out of time. we got to keep moving. Uh, we'll see what we can do. Okay. Third point, totalitarianism. How, do we fall, how have we fallen into a new totalitarianism? Oh, man. This is where it gets dark. So just, just talking about totalitarianism is, is a scary thought because, you know, in our mind, the stories that we've been told is that totalitarian regimes existed in the first half of the 20th centuries. They were primarily fascist, also communist, okay? But, but especially kind of Nazism, fascism, that's totalitarianism. Yep. And so for him to say, and he doesn't do this as much in this, in this uh, essay, but he, he talks about it um, more deeply. He says... Um, this is a phenomenon of the contemporary moment we're living in, is that it still is totalitarian. Now, what is totalitarianism in its essence? It's brute force imposed upon the masses. Um, it's the total destruction of freedom and the, usur- and the usurpation of all that is human into this kind of state or idea or system that imposes itself on others. And so... That's the, that's the tragedy is that the vacuum has been created by liberalism that we all just want to have a nice, easy life. We'll be comfortable. We'll do whatever we're told, but just give us well-being. And actually what is, is filling the void is a kind of totalitarianism that is technological. It's rooted in this kind of purely scientific mode of being and thinking which says to us, this is the, the nature of the way things are. And don't even start talking about theology or transcendence or metaphysics because that is absolutely eliminated. There is no order. There is no intelligibility to things. So totalitarianism imposes that with the use of power. Well-being is such an abused term. Uh, I've been reading Catholic bioethics and just arguments on euthanasia or abortion or even infanticide. Um, Well-being is used to justify so many things. And it's this kind of outside... Well, this person's status of life is, is so poor because I've decided it's poor and it makes me uncomfortable to look at them. And I don't want to journey with them uh, and take care of them while they suffer. So the, just the better, the well-being. Yeah. The well-being is such a vague term that's used to justify so much now. Uh, and it's not rooted metaphysically. It's not rooted in any truth. It's rooted in my emotion of, I don't like how this feels. I don't like how this looks. That can't be, well, that's not good for the person. That can't be a well-being Right. <laughs> Which is just being well. Yeah. Um, uh, no, I mean, it just shows how the decadence of our culture and which, it, which is so crazy because we go through this unbelievable period in the first half of the 20th century of just absolutely unprecedented violence 
and and uh, from these totalitarian regimes. And then what do we do? We revert back into the modern enlightenment promise of total progress. Things are getting better all the time, to quote the Beatles, right? <laughs> I don't believe in isms. I believe in myself. John Lennon quoted by Ferris Bueller, as we all know. Like, this is where we find ourselves, is saying uh, this is the case. And, and in steps this kind of, kind of he's got to be a melancholic, but Augusto de la Noche, who says... No, things have gotten totalitarian because what you get when you eclipse authority is totalitarianism. That's what you get. When you, when you reject God, when you reject the Christian claim, when you reject Plato, what you get is the pure, raw, naked will to power, and whoever takes the power and maximalizes it in a total way is the winner. And that's what totalitarianism is. It's the totality of power in the vacuum of authority. And man... That's a bad place to be in. Yeah. So uh, the interview I read from him, which I think is his distilled idea of of many of these essays, starts with um, the idea of the freedom of religion and how that then becomes abused as religion becomes subjective, as we already talked about. And so it's something you are free to choose or not. So now freedom gets separated from religion. Freedom is now something principally in you, not in, uh, in relation to truth. And so now I separate freedom and religion. What falls then is the morality. Morality falls to value. And we end up getting uh, what he calls the permissivism. Mm-hmm. And, but permissivism is anything goes. But you have to fight for anything to go. You have to will for anything to go, which then becomes the totalitarianism of relativism. Because if, if I can choose religion or not, now truth claims are uh, subjectivized. Yeah. And so relativism falls in. If relativism falls in, now it's just my self-creation like we've been talking about. The values I want to choose, I call good, I have to be permitted to do that. And he says permissivism is what has happened. And because of permissivism, we've fallen into a new totalitarianism. Yeah, that's it. Here's a, a quote that kind of summarizes what we've just been talking about. And this is, this is nice and clear. The widespread notion that the age of totalitarianisms ended with Hitlerism and Stalinism is completely mistaken. In fact, totalitarianisms are founded on the negation of the universality of reason, so that any form of opposition to established power, in the broadest sense, be it cultural or political, supposedly does not express rational concerns but conceals interests of class according to communism or race according to Nietzscheism, regardless of the awareness of those who criticize If one reflects about the relationship between authority and evidence, it becomes clear that ultimately negating those two notions must necessarily lead to the persecution ending in elimination of all dissenters. Goodbye, Bella Clinic, because we're going to take you, we're going to take you down because you are dissenting from the negation of the universality of religion and you're not on board with the totalitarian regime. And that is what's happening at a really deep level. And we're not thinking about it because it's so subtle. Yeah. But this but he's in conversation with the intellectuals of the last century and he watched this thing play out. And his his diagnosis is so profound and so beautiful. People are actually writing this stuff. And you can say, well Sartre doesn't matter to my family. Nietzsche doesn't matter at my school. I'm sorry to tell you this, but it does. The fruits of it we're seeing the, the secularization of the young generation, which is the phenomenon of the non N O N E uh, we're seeing the total destruction of the family, wokeism, 
uh, Black Lives Matter, which explicitly talks about the destruction of the nuclear family. Why is this all happening? It all comes back to the destruction of authority because that speaks of God. And what we have without authority is nothing other than power. And that leads us to the moment we find ourselves in today. Where's the hope? Where's the hope? (laughs) Well, he doesn't really talk about that as much. The hope is, of course, that there is such a thing as truth. Power is not the answer. And that when we read the gospel and Jesus says, coming full circle and kind of drawing this to a conclusion, it shall not be so among you. He's calling out this desire in man to not live according to the logic of power, not according to the will of power, but to the powerlessness of love. And this is the conquest of Jesus. And this is what the cross is. And this is why uh, our hope lies in the cross of Jesus, because in him is the pure dialectic of power and love. Love is powerless. Power is loveless. There is no in-between. You have love, you have power. These are the options. But love has to be rooted in truth, and truth has to be rooted in being and authority and in God, ultimately. So they all come together. You can't, you can't take any of those. You can't speak about love. You can't speak about truth without anything. And the, the moment we're living in is saying, and is calling the bluff and saying, everything has to go in order for us to embrace the world of power and revolution so that we can lead to this new humanity that transcends all values, all truth claims, everything absolute, and certainly Christianity. And we say, no, there's no way. And we're not down with that. And that's why we're fighting against it. And that's why we're talking about it. So thank you, Augusto, (laughs) the man. I I look at uh, Christ obedient even to the point of death. Obedience. We talked about obedience in our Companions Conference uh, this past Friday, talking about the importance of obedience. Obedience is almost central. Um, Imitation of Christ, obedient to the Father, even unto death. Amen. Um, I think that's where the hope is, uh, because we just had the resurrection. We just celebrated Easter. We saw what this obedience does, that he destroys death by dying. Um, And... Del Noche talks about permissivism excludes the idea of morality. And in this respect, it's an indirect proof of the necessary link between morality and religion. Why? Because the idea of morality is tied with the idea of sacrifice. Hmm. And religion is sacrificial. Religion is sacrifice. That's what we do every Sunday. That's why Sunday matters. It's Christ's sacrifice. It's us participating in that. That my sacrifice and yours may be made acceptable to the Father. It is sacrifice because we're living in a morality. Not the values, but morality because morality is ordered to a truth. And so I think we all, um, the, the principal f- hope for me is I can conform myself to be obedient to the will of the Father, to sacrifice, to have true morality, um, as opposed to trying to um, create my comfortable world, the church the way I want it, so that I can do all of my religious practices without interference, um, get out of the way church, state, get, sometimes get out of the way church, <laughs> let me do what I want to do in my religious expression, uh, is still kind of this libertinism within mm-hmm. the church. And, and that's not what we're trying to build. We're being obedient to the Father, even to the point of death. And that's why uh, even the, the Christians persecuted in the you know, first centuries, um, the civilization of Rome falls, but Christianity perdures. You have warring states, kings, powers for hundreds of years, and the church is unified in that. And then you've got the quote-unquote dark ages. What, what saved culture? What maintained culture? Catholics actually being Catholic in the sense of conforming their wills to God's will, not their own. Um, to pray, to hope, and to not worry, as Padre Pio would say. So I think in, in that, there's a lot of, what do we need to do? What do we need to do? And it's like, 
we need to start conforming ourselves uh, to the heart of the Father in truth. Now, that's really hard. That's a whole other podcast. How do you do that? Uh, it might be the question that comes. <laughs> yeah. how, how do you do that? How do you know what is truth? These are other questions, but that's, that's Pilate. What is truth? Um, but that's, that's the hope uh, that I have. That's the hope where I'm, I'm not actually as rattled. 22-year-old Jacob wanted to be a politician and wanted to save the world through politics because I was thinking from this paradigm of if we get enough people in the right powerful places, we can exert the truth on others, which is just totalitarianism. Even if it's a true, a truth can become an ideology. I don't think we think about that. A truth can become an ideology because now it becomes the sole thing that I think about and I will achieve it by any means necessary. Um, and sometimes we do that in the church where it's like, if I could only, if we could just impose Catholicism on the world, it'd be better. And it's like, no, there's this whole thing called true freedom. Yeah. I would say that I think you're right on that. The answer is just conformity to Christ and fidelity. Um, but we also have to say, we got to wake up a bit. We got to wake up a bit and we got to start. I think we got to read Del Noche and we got to think about these things. And uh, we have to think more deeply about the cultural situation and the ideas that are driving the culture we're living in. And I think that that's going to require a surrender of uh, some of the comforts that we've enjoyed. It used to be comfortable to be Catholic. It used to even be advantageous to be a priest. Those days are over. Um, and that's what you're speaking to yeah. uh, is to say, it's about the cross and the cross is the way to the resurrection. We're living in that and God is still working and God is still the authority. So let's do everything we can to uh, let it not be so among us yeah. uh, in the world and to place ourselves under the authority of the father in a new way. And to reawaken those questions that secularism wants to crush, right? Secularism wants to just remove the question of religion, of God, of, of, um, and, um, and sub, you know, sub substitute it with power. Yeah. So re-asking those questions, like a revolt, quote-unquote, a good revolt, if you want to call that, um, is asking the questions, actually asking the questions. What is man? What is God? Why is he here? Like reawakening these in people, um, which often happens through witness, uh, through living that, through being willing to suffer. Why can somebody will respond if you suffer well and they see that, like, what? That is a difference. That speaks to somebody. And then they might, they might hear you. But you got to reawaken that question in people because that's the question that the secular culture is trying to crush. Yeah. So if we want to fight the culture battle, it's not going and winning all of the elections. It's reawakening these questions that end in God. Yeah. We got to, we got to reawaken these questions, which starts in our own family and our own. Right. The elections matter, but this is the real yeah. work. I agree with that. So, okay. Shout outs. Cause speaking of obedience and moral conversion, you got to get the whole hour, to holy four hour. minutes. So um, I have two shout outs. First, I got a huge package, which I thought maybe was a bomb, uh, arrived at 1050 Pennsylvania. It looked kind of like a bomb. Did you <laughs> see that thing? Uh, no. Just a really busted up package. Uh, ended up being a bottle of bourbon and a letter uh, from a guy named Josh Barrett, who goes to Ave Maria University in Florida. And he wrote the letter in Latin because he's in a Latin class and one of his assignments was you have to write somebody a letter in Latin so he wrote it to us love it so I don't have it and I won't read it and Josh I'd love to write you back in Latin but that could take a long time <laughs> so you might just get one in English that is illegible and then a second shout out to uh, Eric Brombeck and Victoria Severson who I had a lovely um, uh, um, lunch with and they are getting married uh, in the fall and uh, Eric was one of my guys in Rome uh, marrying a beautiful a woman, I'm just very happy for them. Uh, and uh, so shout out to them and to Joy and John Kinney, who 
are probably driving back from Minnesota right now, uh, Haley Kinney's parents, and uh, listen to the podcast. So thank you to them for listening, and uh, shout out, as always. Yeah. I'm going to shout out uh, Evan, Kevin, Kevin, and Eric, household brothers of mine. Okay. We've been uh, meeting for coffee uh, about once a week, um, kind of just staying in touch. And it's, uh, yeah, it's men that are trying to be good men in the world ask these questions and respond well so i think that's just a good example they came to mind um you know our small our small lives uh make big impact when we seek to glorify god islands of humanity that's what you guys are doing keep living it all right that's it folks you might want to listen to this on half uh speed (laughs) half Uh, speed with a dictionary next to you but thanks for hanging with us this was a great uh, topic but again uh, a wonderful man uh, that we're honored to introduce and hopefully we'll be able to part two hopefully digest a little more uh and give a i can give a more coherent presentation but for today is what we got so the crisis of modernity by augusta del noche can't recommend it highly enough but this is it catholic stuff podcast at gmail.com thank you for listening jacob I will see you again in In a few weeks or in class (laughs) tomorrow. God bless you. Bye.